Well, good morning. Welcome, especially to you visitors this morning. My, my name's Matt. I'm also one of the pastors. I'd like to add my welcome to Pastor Brad's. And if you're around any length of time, you're going to start asking the question, how many pastors are here? And the answer is six. So if you've got questions about that, we can talk. Please find a Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And if you are just joining us for the first time this morning, you are coming into episode four of a series through the book of Hebrews. We are, we, are, we are rolling. We're in the middle of it. So if it feels like you're missing some preview information, I'm going to do my best to fill in the important bits, but that's, that's probably why you feel that way. But Hebrews 3, today's passage is one of uh, several passages in Hebrews that we're going to come across, one of a couple. Um, one of several warning passages in Hebrews. This passage today in chapter 3, it warns us to watch out in case any of you have an evil and unbelieving heart. It's not a very PC passage. It's not a very Midwest nice passage. Some of you have an evil heart. Not a very Midwest nice sort of passage. It also warns us, do not harden your hearts when you hear God calling to you. And it, it seems today to warn us that if we don't hang on to the faith until the very end, if we don't hold on to the end, we will not be considered part of God's household or members of Christ. That there might be the possibility that in the end we will be found to have fallen short and these types of warnings can be pretty alarming for Christians. For many of us in this room, we already have anxious dispositions. Uh, for a variety of reasons, we lack confidence. We lack confidence. And, and maybe it's through our upbringing, perhaps. Different, different aspects of our upbringing taught us to fear authority figures or, um, or parental figures. So warnings like these in our passage today can cause a lot of distress for those of us who have sort of that anxious disposition. Will I fall short? What if I don't make it to the end? Others of you, maybe more like myself, for different reasons, we struggle with an overabundance of confidence. Um, we're not necessarily phased by stuff like this. Uh, in fact, warnings like this can cause people like me to bristle rather than cower. Can cause people like me to dig, dig my heels in instead of listen up. Uh, and, or maybe we're just prone to dismiss warnings, generally speaking. We're just like, yeah, whatever. It's, they're talking to somebody else, not me. And I kind of wonder, I think it's actually probable that today's passage is aimed more at this second group than the first group. Uh, I'd like to take a look, I'd like to read through the passage today, and I hope by the end of the time this morning, I will have shown you what is going on with these warnings, why the author uses them, and how he intends for us to react to them. That's what I'm hoping for this morning. So let's read Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to go through the first verse of chapter 4 as well. 
Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's household. And he says, consider Jesus, for Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses. Just like a builder has more honor than the house. Now, every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was a faithful servant in God's household as a testimony to what would be said in the future, but Christ was faithful as a son over the household. And we, we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me, tried me, saw my works for 40 years and still hardened their hearts. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. So watch out, brothers and sisters so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it's called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For, so do that because we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the, the confidence or the reality or the conviction that we had at the start as it's said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Who was it that heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? That's who God was angry with for 40 years. Wasn't it those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? It was those who disobeyed. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. It's God's word. So I think it's important for us to keep in mind this morning when we're reading Hebrews chapter 3. And they have the whole book, really. We should probably remind, remind ourselves of this every week, that this book was written primarily to Christians who came out of Judaism. It was written to Hebrew Christians. That's why it's called Hebrews. And so at the time that this was written, the author was writing into a church to a people who were under a lot of pressure, probably from their family, from their community, from the surrounding Jewish culture that they were part of, they were under pressure to abandon their faith in Jesus. That's what was going on. Give it up. Give up the faith. This pressure from their family, from their community, from their social support network 
probably came with persecution, whether that was physical, like actual beatings, or social ostracization. Easy for you to say. Probably came with emotional threats. Maybe some manipulation from parents, well-meaning, but unbelieving. And it seems that the author of Hebrews, he's writing into that population who is wrestling with whether it's worth it to cling to the faith. Is this worth it? Is it worth all this stress? Is it worth all this pressure? Is it worth not being able to go to the family meals at holidays? Is this worth it? Perhaps it would just be easier to give in and to go back to the old ways. And so the author in the book of Hebrews, he has several kinds of arguments against this. His first is that there is no going back. That's his first argument. Jesus fulfilled and did away with the old covenant. And if this book was written after 70 AD, there's no temple to make sacrifices in in the first place. You can't go anywhere to make that sacrifice. You can't go back to the old system. It's physically impossible to go back to the old covenant. It's done away with never to be set back up ever again. Jesus fulfilled it and did away with it. It's no longer an option. That's the first kind of argument. Second kind of argument he makes is that even if it were an option, Jesus is so vastly superior in every way to that old system. Why would you go back? Why would you go back? When Jesus does everything you're trying to do in the temple sacrifice system, in the old covenant way, he does everything that's trying to do better and more completely. So why would you go back to an inferior way of relating to God? The author calls, in Hebrews 13, the author says that the book of Hebrews, it's an exhortation. So it means it's a, it, that's what we're reading here. It's an exhortation. He's exhorting us. And in this exhortation, he uses those kind of two lines of argument and several tactics, three different kinds of tactics I've found. I don't know. For the first kind of tactic is that he compares Jesus with the different sort of, uh, the different facets of the old covenant. So he compares Jesus. The second is that he uses encouragements to press on and keep going because it's worth it. And as in today's passage, he uses a third tactic. He uses warnings. Warnings. And our passage today starts with a comparison. He compares Jesus to Moses. Now, for those of us Gentiles, non-Jews, this uh, falls a little flat, maybe. For a Hebrew, for a Jew at the time, Moses was the guy. He was the guy. Next to God, you had Moses, his chief prophet. The one, Moses was the one through whom God communicated his law and his covenant. The author says Jesus is even more important than the most important human in your faith. And that would have been a pretty impactful claim. It's hard for us to hear it, maybe. Our chapter today, verse 1, 3, verse 1, it starts with, therefore, consider Jesus. Now, whenever 
you come across a therefore in the Bible, there's a fun little wordplay in English here, whenever you come across a therefore, you need to find out what the therefore is there for. I didn't make that up. And in this case, the therefore, why should we consider Jesus? Because of everything that he just got done saying in chapters 1 and 2. Because of all of that, therefore, consider Jesus. On the basis of the truth about Jesus from chapters 1 and 2, that he is, a quick summary, that he is the creator and sustainer of the universe, Jesus is. That he is greater than any angel. That he is the exact representation of God. You want to know what God is like? Do you want to know who God is? Look at Jesus, the author says. And then he says, why is he like that? Because he is God. Jesus is God. And because of all of that, brothers and sisters, consider Jesus. Now this word consider in the scriptures, it's the most common English translation of the Greek word here. And it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, But I think it's kind of like the word awesome. Uh, In our modern usage of the word consider, I think it doesn't do justice to the thought here. And I want to try to walk out just a second here. If you're at a restaurant and the waitress comes up and you would like to order Coke to drink and the waitress says, sorry, we don't have Coke. Would you consider Pepsi? And we go, huh? Okay. Maybe we pause for just a second. Sure, that's fine. Would you consider this? Or, hey, consider, you know, have you ever considered, like, starting CrossFit? Not really. Maybe you should, Matt. Okay, all right. Enough. That's enough. That's not what consider is about here. It's not this real quick, hey, can you just consider Jesus? That's one option of a lot of good options. That's not what it's talking about. Other translations, I think, get it a little better. One translation says, think carefully about. Think carefully. My favorite, because it harmonizes with Hebrews chapter 12. Fix your mind on Jesus. Fix your mind on Jesus. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in light of everything in chapters 1 and 2, fix your mind on Jesus. Because of who he is and who he has done. Yeah, Moses, he was great. He was a faithful prophet. He was important. But he was only ever just a servant in the house with you. Jesus, he's the builder of the house. Jesus, he's the son over the house. The master of the house. Pay attention to Jesus. Fix your eyes, not on Moses. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your mind on Jesus. And then we come to our first big if statement in verse 6. We are part of that house that Moses is also part of if we hang on to our confidence. And we see it again in verse 14. We have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly to the conviction we had at the start. That is a really big if, isn't it? What happens if I don't hold on? And this is where our worry starts to set in. 
I think the solution here with the worry, if you want to know what to do about this if, pay attention to the verb tenses. Pay attention to the verb tenses. In verse 6, we see that we are present tense, that household, if you hold on. And in verse 14, we have become past tense, if you hold on. That's significant. It's not, you will be that household if you hold on. It's not, you will become that household if you hold on. And if you're not catching the difference, it's fine. Let me explain. Those of you who know formal logic or maybe even math, you're starting to see it. The logic is something like this. If it was future tense, if it was future tense, you will be that household if you hold on, then yes, our fears, if I don't hold on, I won't become the household, is valid. If the have become is future tense, you will become participants in Christ if you hold on. The fear that if you don't hold on, I won't become that is valid. But here's what's happening instead. You don't become a member of the household or a participant in Christ by holding on to the end. Rather, holding on to the end is proof that you were a member of God's household and a participant in Christ all along. If you don't hold on to the end, it's because you are not part of the household. It's not something you're going to lose. It's something you never had. If you do not hold firmly, you did not become a participant in Christ in the past. This is not setting up some lifelong test that God is giving you to see whether or not you're going to fail at some point along the way so he can punish you accordingly. That's not what Hebrews is talking about. Members of Jesus' household make it to the end. Verses 7 and 8, they continue. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is not a warning to Christians. This is a warning to unbelievers. It's a call to believe the gospel. When God calls you, when you hear the voice of God, i.e. the scriptures proclaimed, and the internal work of the Holy Spirit calling you to follow him, don't ignore him. Listen to him. Because there is no other way to be saved. The reason the preacher of Hebrews includes these warnings here especially, is because he knows something that every pastor knows about his congregation. That there are some of you here 
who think you are Christian, but you are not. I don't have a list of names in case you're worried about that. These people think they're Christians, but they are not. I can't see your heart, but I know it's there because every so often I see somebody who has been around for years realize the gospel and repent and put their faith in Christ, even though for all outward appearances, I would have told you they're probably a Christian. It's really easy to go along with the church culture. Some of you, hopefully not many, but some of you in here are not Christians. You're not here because you're a Christian. You're here for the social and cultural aspects of the church. You are here because you like the community. The people are really nice to you. And maybe it's the first time you found a group of people that was nice to you. You're here because uh, maybe you enjoy the music. I do. It's really good music, I think. You find it inspiring. Maybe sometimes the sermons are inspirational. Mostly they're long and boring, but sometimes they're inspirational. Some of you are here because there is a cultural impulse in the West especially that going to church is the right thing to do. You're here because you're supposed to go to church. And this church is fine, so fine, I'll go here. But you are not here because you worship the living God. You are not here because that you are convinced that Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe. You are not convinced that Jesus Christ is the savior of mankind your personal Savior, because you needed it, because you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ is that Savior, and He is your only hope in life and death. You're not convinced of that. And that's why the author of Hebrews says, Watch out, everybody, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart. Watch out, brothers and sisters. And he says that because he's being gentle in his warning. I'm your friend, not your enemy. I'm your friend, not your enemy. Watch out. Watch out so that there isn't in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God when he calls to you. Watch out. Why? Why is he warn us to watch out? Why can't he just leave us alone and let us have our nice cultural experience, have our nice little friend group, have our nice little inspirational uh, moment every Sunday, have our nice little uh, community, because the eternal consequences are too serious to let you just rest there, ignoring the voice of the living God. That's why. So in the gathered congregation, where there are certainly some of you here this morning, certainly were some of them who received this letter in the first place, in the gathered congregation, some of you, I don't know, who have an evil and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, and you will never enter God's rest in eternity. You will suffer an eternity of separation from your Creator, an eternity of torment in hell. Watch out. Fix your mind on Christ. Think carefully about Jesus. He is who he says 
He is. He did what he said he did for you on the cross. He paid all of your debt. He made atonement for sin, Hebrews 1 says. He bought back your soul from slavery and death, from slavery to sin and death. And he makes a way for all of you to enter into a new eternal life with your loving creator forever. Watch out. Don't harden your hearts when you hear him call to you. Does his phrase, an evil and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, describe any of you here this morning? Watch out. As your friend, a fellow Iowan or Amesian, fellow 49ers fans and Chiefs fans, watch out. Are any of you here this morning worried that this might describe you? Are you afraid that you're not going to make it to the end? I have good news for you. That fear is a good sign. That you are one of his children and want to be with him for eternity. That's a good sign. And I have good news from you. For you. The preacher of Hebrews has good news for you. He gives us the antidote to the whole problem. It's a simple fix. Brothers and sisters, in light of the fact that there are some of us here who have an evil and unbelieving heart, and some of us here who are fearing that we might be in that, what are we as a church supposed to do? We are to encourage each other daily. As long as it's called today. That's how we are supposed to respond to this warning. To watch out. We are to encourage one another. And by encourage, encourage here in this passage, he doesn't mean like the pat on the back, punch in the arm. Good job, buddy. Keep going. I mean, that's, that's elsewhere in the Bible. That's like showing honor where honor is due. Encourage here means to remind each other of who Jesus is. He means to instill, we are to instill courage in one another for the spiritual battles we face in life with the truth about Jesus, with the truth about the gospel message. That's what he means by encourage one another. We are in, to encourage one another to keep our minds fixed on Jesus. This is the cure to the evil and unbelieving heart. And it's the balm for the anxious Christian's fear that they might not make it. Encourage each other with the truth about who Jesus is, how much he loves you, what he has done for you to buy you back from slavery to sin and death. Brothers and sisters, and friends here who are not yet brothers and sisters. Think deeply about Jesus with me. Let's think about what Hebrews has already told us about Jesus. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact image of who he is. Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. Jesus made purification for our sins. 
Jesus is seated at the right hand of the majesty, God on high. Jesus tasted death for everyone. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. Jesus is the pioneer of your salvation. Jesus is not ashamed to call you brother. He is not ashamed to call you sister. Fix your mind on that. Fix your mind on him. He's not ashamed of you. He did what was necessary to forgive you and buy you back into his waiting arms where he holds you tightly and will until the end. If you are part of his house, you are going to make it. And if you're not part of his house, he is calling you. Don't ignore him. Watch out. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for tough love. I'm grateful that the author of Hebrews was not Midwest nice. I'm grateful that the author of Hebrews cared about the people he was writing to. It gives me words as a preacher, as a pastor, for the sheep that you've put in our care here as a church. And I pray, Lord, that we hear whether we're fearing and anxious about the state of our soul, we would, we would be soothed by the truth that you have made purification for sin. You sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and you are not ashamed to call me brother, not ashamed to call her sister. That we would be soothed by that. I pray for those of us who are confident in Christ. We hear this message and we say, hallelujah, amen, isn't that good news? that we would be reminded to encourage everyone we come across with these words. I pray, Lord, for those of us here who do have an evil and unbelieving heart or even it's hard to get their head around the word evil, just unbelieving. We don't believe. Maybe we don't think we're evil. Lord, I pray that if there are any who are here, do the miracle in their heart of opening their ears and turning their eyes to you. Thank you, Lord, for doing all of the work necessary to allow that to happen. Draw many people to yourself. Comfort our brothers and sisters. Encourage us to encourage others. In Jesus' name, amen.